You're tuned into Planted Never Buried, your one-stop shop for joy and justice from Black Gen's ears. I am your host, Brandy Richardson. Let's talk about Karens. You know them when you see them, usually a flannel shirt, bob haircut, or some sort of exercise outfit and still the bob haircut. You know, maybe we should just ban bobs and see what happens. Anyway, Karens won the election for 45 back in 2016 and showed up strong for him during this election cycle as 55% of them voted for him, according to NBC News. They're known for calling the police on Black people, barbecuing, selling lemonade, or bird watching in the park. While at the same time, dating our men as if they're some sort of highly coveted prize. These contemporary examples only add to a long history of how trash white women have been and how complicit they are in structural racism. The best part of the otherwise cyclical nature of calling out BS is that I get to do it with one of my absolute favorite people whom I'll introduce in a minute. Now it's true, not all white women are a part of the problem and some are in fact allies actively fighting against the structure that benefits them and we'll definitely parse this out as well. This week's news cycle was still heavily dominated by the election, but I do have some headlines for you after the break. As always, you're listening to Plant It Never Buried. Joe Biden won the presidency four times this week as 45 continues to be in denial. The Ivy League canceled its winter sports season, so I feel for all my brown bears and just friends across the league who are athletes. A United States appeals court uphold or upheld um, Harvard's use of race as one of many deciding factors in the admissions process, and affirmative action cases are always trying to make their way to the Supreme Court, so this is a big win that um, everything we fought for to this point can't just get struck down. So on to why you tuned into Planted Never Buried today, Karens. It's no secret that white women, and especially Karens, hold a ridiculous amount of power in this country. The the Volia, I always mess this up, the Volia Glimpse wrote, Out of the House of Bondage, The Transformation of the Plantation House in 2003, which is a book all about how white women claim they have no power and zero control over what they're masters of husbands did while running their plantations when in actuality they were the puppeteer masters while their husbands were the puppets the white women caught the shots and the husbands executed the plans the wives ran the household made staffing decisions for the enslaved people and oftentimes the husbands followed their lead and fast forward to 2020 white women have maintained their position on all fronts we can't do much because we're up against sexism just like black women And meanwhile, their gentrifying husband who leads a Fortune 500 company is developing yet another area in a predominantly black neighborhood. And even for your average middle-class white woman, who's often more of a Karen than wealthy white women, still cling to their gender as why they're still oppressed and in the same position as other marginalized folks, as opposed to using their white privilege to make change. And I don't know about y'all, but I, for one, feel no allegiance to or solidarity with white women just because we're all women. Goodness, these last couple of episodes, I've gotten so ahead of myself. Before continuing, let me introduce my queen of a guest. She's a junior at Brown and a literal light wherever she goes. 
I always heard people say you meet your lifelong friends in college. And I know for a fact she's one of them. <sighs> Sydney Smith. Girl, it's great catching up with you before the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I can feel your energy and your love and your warmth through the phone. And it means a lot. Wait, why am I going to cry? Wait, that was so <laughs> sweet. Aww. I love you, Randy. Aww. Oh, my goodness. I love you back. Um, so you heard the plan for today. And before really getting into it, I just want to start by asking you, what do you think the difference between a Karen and the stereotypical white woman this episode is about versus women who just happen to be right, white? Because what I don't want is for this to be an hour-long generalization of how all white women are terrible. But at the same time, they do hold, all of them hold power, and some choose not to use it to fight and eventually dismantle structural racism that negatively impacts the Black community and all non-white, non-cisgender people. And they need to be held accountable for that and for the damages that it causes. So, Sydney, where do you draw the line? What's a Karen versus just a woman who happens to be white? Ooh, that's a... Ah. No, I hear you on not wanting to generalize. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I think the way that, I, that I've been thinking about it is like a Karen is someone who's bold enough to act on the things that I'm pretty sure like most, if not all, white women are feeling. Like that whole, mm, you know see. what I'm saying? Like that whole white fragility, that sense of just, you know, fearing like this domination or like fearing a reversal of whatever, whatever it is that you think that you have earned when really it's unearned mm-hmm. privilege. I think that Karens are just the ones who feel comfortable enough to vocalize that in in a way that's derogatory. But I but I I feel like I feel like it's not any different than just that like white fragility or like desperation to hold on to those privileges of whiteness that I'm sure most, if not all, white people um, feel. You know what I'm saying? Facts. I think that's a really good definition, and I agree. And I want to follow up by asking. What's white fragility, right? I have I always joke around saying, if a white woman cries, everyone better hide because somebody somewhere who's black is going to end up being blamed for her mm-hmm. tears. We saw that in Mentil. We saw that in pretty much all the black people that have unfortunately lost their life to just nonsense. So I guess what about, first, let's start with the beginning. What is white fragility? I know we've both read the same book, but I want to hear from you. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously building off of Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility. But I think that it's just like this concept of just, you know, these defensive responses, like these defensive responses that white people get when being confronted about their whiteness or race. Um, And there's this feeling to kind of like want to go inward or to like express rage or all these different emotions because of this like insecurity, like, or fear of like their whiteness, I guess is is really what it is. I think just feeling like, I think just feeling that like insecurity of power, like I know that I've had this Mm. power and as these things going on in the world continue to develop and as the way that we talk about race is different and certain things are problematic and some things are labeled as racist and I feel like white people think that there are all these things that they, you know, can't say or they'll be seen another way and they worry about their perception rather than like the impact of their action. Like they don't want to seem racist even though like they are racist. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And even just the, I think it's odd that they do all of this because they're the ones in power and they, they feel as though they're at risk. And it's as if they think the powerless are treated poorly in this country and they therefore don't want to become a part of that subcategory. And I'm thinking, well, gee, 
how do you think we feel yeah. right we can't just go in and out of um oppression and privilege especially as black women who have it from both sides of gender and from race so i think i like the fact that you brought up sort of white fragility and everything going on right now really heightening it at a new level and if we've seen anything during this presidency we know that these white supremacists will double down even when they're wrong Mm. in a panic right and in the ultimate display of white fragility just because they don't want to be blatantly wrong in public Mm. and so I think that's why a lot of the Karens will be calling the police on black folks or like going out of their way boldly to I guess as, as a reminder to everyone who's not white we have the historical power here yeah. and we're not just about to relinquish it easily yeah and I think it's and I think and I think that Karens are different like that because they go out of their way but I feel like regular <clears throat> regular white people they're just yeah. so afraid they like don't want to be that bold with it but they still have those like same feelings or that same attachment to their whiteness but they they mm-hmm. worried about they were they're worried about the blame game they're like oh I don't want to be labeled as racist which is always really frustrating right. because it's like first of all no one's interested in the blame game like black people just want to stop being killed like I don't Facts. really care like to label you as a bad person like just stop killing us like that's like I'm not interested Period. in it and I just wish that that white people who are trying to be allies would get over the fear of like being blamed or getting wrong you know or like or like mm-hmm. being wrong just like just stop doing what you're doing because it's actually violent like no one really cares about the blame game like you do and it's dangerous and I also so the one hand I want to almost thank Karens for being so bold <laughs> because now we know what all white people are thinking mm. like at least they're saying it with their <clears> chest <throat> but as you said the majority of white people they may be thinking this but they're either doing microaggressive actions or just being much more low-key about it which means like sure we have to pay attention to it but also they're trying to veil as you said their true feelings and so I wonder how then like if we're talking to Karens in this episode how do we bring in the ones who are low-key Karens but you just don't hear from them as much and they're equally as problematic if not more so Mm. yeah I really feel like it's just talking about like the the why you feel like something is being threatened like your identity or or what Mm. you feel like you have earned is being threatened I think getting to the root of that because I think that that's the dangerous part is that white people think that there's this like earned privilege there's this like earned you know wealth and earned like education and like intergenerational Mm -hmm. wealth like all of this is earned and it's like yikes y'all like to like (laughs) like really it's like you know it's it's a big yikes because it's like their sense of themselves is so tied to all of that. And even yeah. just to, and that's why I think that the 2020 election, really, this may be a hot take or it's a lukewarm take, I don't know. But I feel Let's like, <laughs> I feel like the 2020 election like wasn't about the most marginalized people, like the way that everyone framed it. Because, and I was like, we've talked mm-hmm. about this, like the conditions of the most marginalized aren't gonna change under, you know, a Joe Biden administration. like policy right. and the way you know that the you know bureaucracy and politics works is, is going to still be slow and it's still going to respond slow to change and whatever but mm-hmm. it, I think it really was about like white people's sense of themselves and like if Trump had won like mm-hmm. that would have forced like you know white people who are not the, the crazy Trump supporters like that that group of people like y'all y'all I can't even I can't even begin to deal with y'all 
but it was about the regular regular <laughs> white people the Karens and the people who are low-key Karens like for Trump to have won and y'all would have really had to take a look at yourself in the mirror and forced to see what black people and other people of color have been seeing for for years for generations y'all would have had to look in the mirror yeah. and see that same whiteness but of course black people save the whole thing per usual but per usual it's so ironic to me that karen's continued to vote for this man and even though he didn't win he did get about about 70 million mm-hmm. votes right so some people in this country really resonate with his message really resonate with his rhetoric and i agree this last week we did a whole episode about how not much is going to change for black people under the biden harris administration and if anything i think because sort of racism and hostility and discrimination was such a central point in the 2020 election the bare minimum was to just vote out 45 Mm, right we didn't have to actually listen to the policy or actually listen to what the plans were because it was like anything is better than what we have now and i think because the threshold was set so low now as the election results set in and we know we're going to end up with biden it becomes that much more frustrating because it's it's almost saying gee their platform while it was in direct contrast to who i did not want to be in office does not overwhelmingly benefit me either, mm-hmm. right? I have no huge expectations for Biden-Harris to go in there and move in mountains for Black people. Because as I said, presidents are not civil rights mm-hmm. activists. They are presidents. Yeah. So the not to be the, the negative one, but <laughs> certainly my expectations mm-hmm. are low. This is a good segue um, into something I mentioned earlier as far as Karen's in the election, Karen's policing Black people, dating our men, So let's just start from the top of those three and work our way down. Excuse me, Sydney, what about 45 sort of invites Karens and I guess, generally speaking, the poor whites who are the, the crutch of his support base to continue supporting him almost in a brainwashed like fashion, Mm. refusing to accept, accept the results of this election um, these sort of very white supremacist rallies, the refusal to wear masks, even though data shows it helps deter the spread of coronavirus. There's so many different examples that all go back to you still support this man despite mm-hmm. all of these different things. What about him invites this type of unconditional support? God, honestly, even just hearing you list the things out, it's like we're living in it. And I never forget that we're living in it. But just to hear it, sometimes you really get the fullness of the crazy. So I'm still sitting with that. Yeah. But I think that, I think it's just like that, you know, like, I think he speaks to the white people who feel like they've been forgotten because they're used to being on top. They're used Mm. to being dominated. And and people have said this time and time again, and people said this when analyzing the 2016 election. But I still think that it holds true in 2020, especially in 2020, thinking about like, the past four years and then how there is a growing awareness of issues like racism and sexism and homophobia and xenophobia mm-hmm. for sure um not in a way that's actually creating change for people who are affected by um all of those isms and phobias but you know there's there's at least mm-hmm. an acknowledgement um not one of depth but an acknowledgement that these things exist and and people kind of you know latch on to them to like show that they're woke and it's really dominated the media. Again, not in a way that's actually creating meaningful yeah. change, but all of these are like buzzwords. And everyone wants to seem like they're on the right side of history. So they use these words and this language, exactly. but they're really not doing anything. 
And I think that kind of like the mainstream use of all these things has made white people be like, oh my God, like this is not how it used to be. It used to just be like, you know, mm-hmm. white is right and, and this is what we're doing. And so I think that Trump speaks to that like, uh, you know, like I still, like we are still on top. Like you are not forgotten about. I know that everyone's talking yeah. about, you know, arrest the killers of Breonna Taylor and everyone's posting that on Instagram. And I, and I, but I see you white people. I think that's what he does. I think he just, I think he just speaks to like a time when yeah. white people were on top and nobody questioned that. And people are starting to question that more as we think mm-hmm. and the knowledge becomes more available and, you know, we're listening more than I think. Um, and I think that like, he's like, okay, I know all of this is changing. And, but I still remember that time when y'all were on top. I want to, I want to take us back to that. I want to take us back to white supremacy. Like mm-hmm. that's literally what it is. And what's crazy is when people try to, when people try to act like that's not the reason that they voted for him, because there truly is no reason. Right. There literally right. is no else. He literally has not done. He hasn't done anything for those people, but remind mm-hmm. them that like you are superior. I'm gonna make you feel superior. This is what we're gonna do. There it literally is no other reason. I cannot conceive it. <laughs> Man, that is such keen insight. And while you were talking, I couldn't help but wonder how much of this is due to political correctness. Mm. Because years ago, you could say what you were actually thinking in an unfiltered way without the threat of being canceled or of being fired or of being furloughed, whatever. But now it's almost as though everyone is walking Mm. on eggshells, trying to be sensitive to each other's feelings and positionality and just backgrounds to the point that it's almost detrimental and eroding and discouraging any conversation about the very elephant in the room. And so I'm a huge Dave Chappelle fan and clearly he's a controversial Mm -hmm. comedian. But one of the things I appreciate about him is that not only is he like super intellectually sound and historically sound and it comes through in his, like how he frames jokes and in his um, standups, but he also, he'll say, okay, I'm saying this because no one else will. And it's what everyone in the room is thinking or everyone has experienced in one way or another. And I just, I'm worried that sort of the political correctness, the let's let's listen to each other, but only if it's something I want to hear position is is right up there with, yeah, honky-tonky, redneck Trump supporters just trying to continue to think that they are the best thing mm-hmm. since sliced bread no i definitely i definitely feel that and i actually just watched the most recent saturday night live where he did his opening monologue ah. um i was watching it with ivy yeah. it was, woo, um it was a good time good time Ciao. and i think i definitely think that that's mm-hmm. right but i am i am a person that thinks that language is important and i think that i maybe fall into yeah, that category same. of people and probably most definitely do going to an ivy league school and being in those circles, for sure, I think I definitely fall into one of those people who, like, saying the correct word is important to me, but also because I think that language has, you know, immense impacts that, like, we can't even begin to to think about expansively, but mm-hmm. I, I want to draw a distinction between, like, political correctness just for the sake of, like, seeming smart and, like, seeming woke and all of that, and then, like, and then, like, actually right. using correct and like not harmful language like I think when I hear people Facts. who are feeling alienated by this kind of like wokeness that is like taken over the mainstream which is also nauseating in, in a whole other way but like people who are feeling alienated mm-hmm. maybe people who voted for Trump because they're like I'm worried about tiptoeing around whatever 
I think that sometimes those people are talking about mm-hmm. political correctness, and I think there's something to that. But I think other times it's people just like not wanting to think outside of themselves and not wanting to think outside of this binary that we're like taught to buy into. I'm thinking specifically mm-hmm. about pronouns. There are people who who think about pronouns as political mm-hmm. correctness of like, why are you always telling me that I'm using someone's wrong pronoun? And I, and I don't think that that's political mm-hmm. correctness. I really feel like, no, like you need to learn how to use somebody's pronouns. You know what I'm saying? You understand the distinction yeah. that I'm drawing? That's good, Sydney. That's good. Yeah. No, 100%. I could not agree more with political correctness because, um, like, you're a racist and you just don't want to get with the times because all your nonsense has to stop versus purposefully using harmful language and really just inciting a dangerous environment in which no one can present their full selves out of fear of backlash or retaliation. Mm -hmm. I think language is powerful, which is one of the reasons why there's so many, (laughs) a lot of communication breakdowns is because of a lack thereof, Mm -hmm. right? You're not using, um, like if I wanted to communicate something to you, I would not come to you speaking in Spanish, Mm -hmm. right? And I think a lot of times when it comes to particularly conversations centered around race or equality or equity, Folks are coming to the table speaking two completely different languages and nothing is getting done as we have seen over the past four years. But I also think because sort of the tiptoeing around it and saying everything except for the elephant in the room is almost a, a form of coddling mm. or appeasement because then it's it's fake. Like I'm listening to you or I'm hearing you, but I'm not really about to do anything you suggest. And I'm just more so here as a show and tell yes I heard them speak yes okay great I checked these boxes now I can go on about my business and that's that's Mm -hmm. where I draw the line because what white people are not going to do is go through the Mm -hmm. motions and act like they're about this business and have you know the receipts to prove I attended this workshop or I talked to this student who told me x while at the same time actively participating in this capitalist patriarchal system mm. like that just doesn't sit well yeah, with me. that's true that's true and I definitely and my friends and I have been having conversations about cancel culture and you know aligning mm-hmm. you know words with actions and I think that I don't know that's 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 all good stuff I just think that mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know, Randy. This is a lot. This is a lot of good. It's a it's lot. A lot. Of good I was just about to say it's, it's a, a lot. lot of good stuff. I um. I'm not even for sure how we got down this particular rabbit hole, but I'm glad we were here. <laughs> I'm, this was like, really, every time I talk to you, I learned something new and I'm oh. grateful for that. Let's go back to Karen's mm-hmm. acting up. So I mentioned how they often call the police on black people as if like they're assuming their authority and their place in the world as if it's their job to do that type of action. And I I ask myself a lot, you know, what about Black people or the Black community signals to Karens, oh, yep, I got to go manage that. Or, you know what, I got to go control that. This is my responsibility. I mean, because that's, I mean, that's the way that it has been. Not that that's justified, but like, I mean, the history of the United States is, is white people doing way too much, thinking that they have way too much power. And that they're superior when they're not mm. like that is that's that's the way it's been I mean honestly like to think like to think about it throughout the United the entire United States history like 
Karen, you know, not just people who are like gendered female, mm-hmm. but like white people with that same boldness and like sense of attachment yeah. to their whiteness. Like yeah. those are the people who, you know, you know, colonized this land and founded the United States. Like they're the ones who launched this this settler colonial project. Like that's exact like this is this the is way true. that it has been. White people feeling like I'm superior, I have knowledge that you can never possibly possess. And so I'm mm-hmm. gonna just I'm gonna get I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap this up and I'm gonna control the way that things go. I'm gonna control the way that people move, the what things that they do with their bodies. Like white people have always yeah. felt the need or like felt some sort of responsibility or the power to you know to do to do all of that. And and here they are doing it. And, the, and here they are doing it still in 2020. And it's just so I don't know if they're living in a time capsule or something, but to still be acting on those shenanigans right now, it seems so like rudimentary. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for these continued, you know, racist nonsense just because you see a black person and feel threatened because you're a racist. In my mind, I'm like, that sounds like a you problem. It sounds like you need to mm-hmm. go to therapy or you need to go do some work for sort of that historical ideology to be mm-hmm. uprooted. Because at the end of the day, like, yes, it's hurting the black community, but it's also hurting us in a more indirect way because that Karen is going to grow up, marry, or maybe not, have a kid, and then teach that same Mm -hmm. ideology. So it's just the cyclical nature and how it's reborn and shows up in different forms throughout the decades is what I'm weary of when we could really just nip it in the bud if all these Karens just, like, went to a... I don't know, support group or something where they actually did some, where they actually did some real work and, and undid a lot of this nonsense. See, I don't know. And maybe this is where the pessimist in me comes out. And maybe I've been reading a lot of Afro pessimism and, and, and taking classes, but Ooh, I love it. What you got? I, just, mm, I love it. I just don't, I honestly don't see that happening unless we like fundamentally restructure like this country. I really am a part of that camp of people mm. is like, we really have to dismantle this and like burn this down and create something new because this ideology, you're right that it is historical. Like this is, it is so embedded in like the fabric of this country and how we relate as like a people that I don't think it's, I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be solved by Karen's going to support groups and talking about what it feels like to be a Karen and you know, whatever. Like, I really think that like, I think that this is like so deeply embedded in like, everything we are as a country, the way that we relate to one another, the way that our institutions operate, the way that we think politically yeah. as like as like a singular American polity, I really think that like this this white supremacy like is is embedded in it like so like so 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 many people have said. So I'm a part of the camp of like I don't think it's gonna take a support group or I don't think it's gonna be done with some like liberal presidents. Like I really think that it is gonna take a dismantling of this entire country. And a restructuring in a way that is fair and just and liberatory in all the ways that we as Black people have been imagining it to be. I am so for a new system for restructuring, for a new framework where new ideologies are embedded. My only caveat is that that almost seems more unrealistic than the band-aid sticks of having a support group. Because in the interim between what we have now and getting that ideal goal achieved, 
we're going to have to be having some system, right? We're going to have to participate in something some way or another until we reach the end goal of full dismantlement. And I'm of the position during that interim time, we need to be doing something, right? We can't just sit back for 30 years. Okay, the new mm-hmm. system is in place now. Let's go. Like that's 30 years where mm-hmm. a lot of harm and danger and hurt can continue to take place in addition to the history that has already founded all of that. So for me, I so hear you. I want the same things, but to not have a short term goal seems short sighted to me. Like, yeah, the support group or whatever else the ideas may be are not going to solve everything. And like white people can still go through the motions, even if they do attend such a thing. Mm-hmm. But at least it's something, you know, because I'm I want something to show for. Well, we know white people are trash and we know the black people in this country have far too long had to prove themselves, had to support this democracy, have had to um, support themselves beyond measure that your typical person does not have to go through. Yet, yet and still, this is what we have done and this is what we have to show for it. And I don't see a receipt pulled where white people can say the same thing. Like, this is how we've actively fought racism. This is what we have to show for it beyond, oh, I walked with Dr. King or I you know, mm-hmm. I helped Malcolm X way back when. I want something I more that. recent. And I you know? think that like this also this also happens to be the impetus for what eventually my thesis will be, maybe if we get there, we'll see. But I think Ooh. that I think that you'll I'm, get I'm, there. I just cannot I don't I don't know if I have the energy or capacity as a person to try and usher white people through, you know, their white guilt and their white fragility and their you know, white supremacy. Like, I don't either. think that that is what I was put on this earth to do because I just don't think that I have the capacity to do it. You know, like I have, I have my, you know, three or four white Facts. people that I've taken under my wing, and I extend my grace and patience to them, and I help them work out their thing. But for me, that doesn't look like trying to change a country or trying to change a people. Um, but I think that that short term, I think that that's what Black people can do for themselves. The way that they build their own communities of just like mm. love, and joy, and resistance, and I, and this is where all my reading this summer and around my thesis has been looking at like the resistance and survival strategies of black women and how like black women have been creating their own being new ways of existing outside of the system that was actively trying to kill them Mm, since forever forever. like Mm -hmm. black women have been doing this and and i'm i really am just interested to see like how can that be useful for black people in the present moment to just figure out what we can do to just like be with one another like how we can just be in community with one another and make sure that Facts. all of our needs are met without I like I just cannot sit around and wait for what is a long project you're right about this you know dismantling of this entire system like mm-hmm. that is a long way and I just can't wait for white people to get there because honestly I don't even think that they will get there and that's a pessimist in me but it's like I can't be interested mm. in that because I just don't really think that white people have them in it or to do it on a timeline that's that works for me. Yeah. Like I'm I can't be sitting here for a hundred years waiting for y'all to yeah. get together. But it's like black women have already <laughs> been practicing this and in small and like intimate ways too. Like they've been sharing meals for each other and bringing communities mm. together or just like build, building to, like building a community where everyone's needs are met inside inside of this like system that really just didn't care about them and was actively trying to uh, uproot their entire existence you know what i'm saying i'm not 100 percent. i'm not depending on white folk either it would be nice to have their involvement Mm -hmm. but i i exactly we're not gonna wait for that 
in your response, I couldn't help but to ask, are you in this context and this framing um, in support of segregation? Like the black community mm-hmm. build each other up over here and all the rest of y'all stay out because, well, not stay out, but keep your distance because right now mm-hmm. you know, we need us the most. That I've been trying to question. I'm like, oh my God, am I a segregationist? Like, whoa. And I, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. it means something different but, now but than back still, then like, but yes go and ahead honestly, I don't think that's what it is because I'm not I'm not really like drawing you know strict lines of black people come in my corner white people stay back but it's like I only want to be mm-hmm. in community with people who are dedicated to making sure like my needs are met and I'm dedicated to making sure their needs are met and like maybe that's white people I think that mm-hmm. right now in my life I do have a few white people who I would include in my community, who I would take with me to that like more liberatory future mm-hmm. that we're all trying to work towards. I have a few, not a whole lot, but I have a few white people that that I know are dedicated right. to like seeing me as I am, like as a full human being and like loving and honoring that and trying right. to make sure that like I have everything that I need to survive and I'm dedicated to make sure they have everything they need to survive. Mm. And so I don't think that it's, I think mm. that it's just a commitment to like liberation and to justice. And I think that, like, white people can have that. I think it's a lot harder for them to have that. And they got to work through a lot of their own stuff in order to get there. Um, but I don't think it's strictly along racial lines. Well, well there you go, y'all. Everybody pick Count up out, three y'all. or four white people and bring them. <laughs> we'll be fine. Count them out. <laughs> but no, I, um, I, too, am past the point where I feel any type of macro level uh, obligation to mm-hmm. catch white people up to speed. The ones who do reach out to me, I've decided that I recommend a book. I recommend a podcast to lay the foundation because mm-hmm. I'm not doing all that heavy lifting when there's so many resources and so much literature that is already about the very question they ask me. And then if they actually read up on it or do the homework, then I'm willing, I'm more willing to sit down mm-hmm. and have a conversation with them. But of all the people who I've like referred to different resources or articles or whatever, only maybe one mm. or two has actually followed up with me, which is very telling. You say you want to know about these things. You say you want to be actively anti-racist. And when I've given you tools and way to go, ways to go about that, yeah. you've shown your true self. So I couldn't agree more with, with what you've said. And honestly, it's just great to be in community. Like, as you talk about building community, I'm over here like, wow, Sydney is so amazing. I know such an incredible young lady is ridiculous. (sighs) Goodness. Um, So on to something that may be lighter. Actually, maybe not. We, (laughs) I don't know. It's still lighter, but somehow whenever it's like a social romantic Uh scene, it feels like it's not as heavy. Karen's Karen's Mm -hmm. and dating Black people either dating black men or dating black women or dating um, non-binary people who are also black. I find it odd, especially the bona fide Karens who are right up there with, you know, Lynch, Mm -hmm. Willie Lynch and all of the, the slave masters back in the day, but just a 2020 reincarnation to be walking around with Mm -hmm. what is essentially a black accessory and how they treat their partner or how they communicate or how they, what they post on social media and all these different things. So what's your take on specifically white women dating Ooh, Girl, black you know people? we had conversations about this over the summer. You know that we talked all summer about this. 
Yes, yes. I honestly don't know if I've given a lot of thought to people who are so openly racist and, you know, those bold Karens that we talk about dating Black people. I don't know if I've thought much about this, but I think that I have thought about a lot. I think I've thought about it in terms of just a regular, regular white women dating black men. And I think that that, that comes, I mean, I think that that comes from my upbringing. My mom's white, my dad's black. And I think about it a lot. And I think that I, I always as a kid thought that, you know, by marrying someone and loving someone and having a child with someone that you, you, you know, you were white, but you weren't that type of white person that you were different, like you weren't racist. You could never mm-hmm. you know, have that within you because look at your family, look at what you made. Um, but you know, as I, as I came up, exactly. I, I figured out and having conversations with my mom, I was like, oh no, like she's still a white woman. She's my mom, but she's still a white woman. And I think that like, I'm in this place right now where yeah. I'm honestly skeptical of like interracial relationships. And I know that that sounds whack considering that I am the product of one. Mm. And I, I know it sounds whack. Like I hear myself and it sounds whack, but I just, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm skeptical of, of what I think a relationship should be for, should be like seeing someone like at their most true self and understanding them. Um, and I just don't yeah. see how that can happen um, with a white person and a black person. Like I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm perplexed oh. by it and I just need somebody to help me work through it. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the regular regular whites because they're also a part of this in addition to the Karens. Okay. I so this is a hot take anywhere else, but I mm. do not believe in interracial relationships. I don't believe in white and black interracial relationships because for mm. me it's just too much to overcome. Like you have this whole long history and think that your 20 years of love or 80 years of love are going to undo it or fight it in some way. And I'm also extremely skeptical of sort of the the notion that because I'm with a black person, I'm mm-hmm. not racist, which is what a lot of white people say. They like put it up on a pedestal as confirmation that they're non-discriminatory or that they're down for the cause. And if we out here floating trophies, you really anyone who's anti-racist does not have to have to show such mm-hmm. a such a receipt or such a flamboyant type of telling because we see it in the work you do, right? We see it in your daily life in a way that does not come in the form of, oh, I have a black partner, you know, give me the stamp of approval. And because of that, it just seems so, it's such an elementary fix Mm -hmm. to a a larger problem. Now, this isn't to say I don't believe in love. It definitely comes in all forms and I'm open to that. And like, I have plenty of friends who are in in interracial relationships and have created uh, mixed race black children and that's cool mm-hmm. I'm happy for them but for me it's just like yeah, I don't honestly, see how it works no, and the gag is Randy neither do I and I am the product of such a relationship I just don't <laughs> understand it and I think that in talking to friends who are in inter- interracial relationships and, and just kind of sitting through it I think that Honestly, I, I see a difference in the way that the the black partner understands their blackness and, and how central that blackness is to their identity. And I Ooh, think that tea. that's one of the things yeah. that, that kind of like fluctuates when you think about like folks who are in the relationships. Like I think someone's understanding or like attachment to their blackness as part of their identity 
may be different if they're in a interracial relationship than someone who isn't and not that that's the end all be all but I think that like in conversations with people and just thinking about it that seems to be a part of the situation that experiences some movement depending on what we're talking about you know what I mean facts and I also think just because of the predatory Mm -hmm. nature of white women seeing them with specifically black athletes makes me uncomfortable because it's such a fetishization of the black athlete Mm -hmm. I'm specifically thinking of black male athletes right now and how they are targeted and preyed upon in a way that you just don't see black female athletes or black non-binary athletes clung to and it I don't know it really disappoints me that after everything I can't emphasize this enough and I know I keep saying it but after everything somehow like some black people are very comfortable Mm -hmm. being married to a white woman and I guess that's their own prerogative and I certainly don't want to be the arbiter of love on a macro scale but again it's just too much to overcome because then usually the burden of explaining you know Mm -hmm. why someone Mm -hmm. followed your kid in the store or why someone has called you the n-word or you know why this microaggressive comment from a guidance counselor telling you not to look into brown is problematic Mm -hmm. falls on the black partner and it's bad enough when you have two black parents who have to do it but surely it's more difficult Mm -hmm. when there's only one who really gets it because they low-key high-key married part of the problem who's actively yeah. racist right it just i know love conquers a lot but mm-hmm. it can't conquer everything and that's one of the yeah, things no, i'm it's saying interesting. It, it i think do. i've been thinking a lot about this and thinking about my own my, my parents relationship but also in talking to other friends and about like how mm-hmm. how white people who are like marrying and trying to have children with black people need to think more critically about bringing mm-hmm. a black child into this world and that's what I think, like, people miss out Facts. on is, 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 like, thinking that, oh, well, I don't see color and da-da-da-da-da. And be like, no, 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 no. Like, that's all cute right. you don't see color. But, like, you're bringing, like, a child into this world who is going to face things that you are just not equipped to handle with. And I think, like, conversations with my mom have been really difficult. Mm. And I'm trying to get her to understand, like, mom, there will always be a certain part of me and a certain part of my experience that you will just never no matter how hard you try, you will just never be able to understand. And that yeah. hurts, and that hurts her, and it hurts me, and there's, like, this one disconnect between us that just can't be mm-hmm. bridged. And I think that, I don't know if it ever could be bridged, but I definitely think that she didn't think about bringing a, a, a you know, a mixed-race Black child into this world. She, she didn't even, she honestly didn't even think I was a person of color mm-hmm. until I was driving up to Brown for my first year. Um, she didn't, she didn't know why I was going through mm-hmm. the student of color orientation. I was like, oh, no. Um, but I think that it takes that like extra thought and wow. I think that like that's the issue is like bringing is like bringing black children into the world but like not having that not having that support or that understanding in your parent you know it's 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 all messy it's mm-hmm. so messy it's so messy and it would be different if these things seemed more serendipitous like oh we went to the same class and we just happened to start liking each other and then we got married but from what I'm seeing it's like an active search on the hand of white women to end up with a black person and that's where I'm just like well if is is it really organic love if you were actively saying yeah um 
I'm going after this black man because he's a black man. And I know nothing about him, but he's black, mm-hmm. so he has to be right for me. That is just, that's where I draw the line. And frankly, I feel for the black partners out there who have felt targeted and pressured by white women inconsolably so to be a part of their yeah, lives. Yeah, I don't know. That's There's a lot going on in there. And I definitely think that it is, honestly, I would say like sickening or like nauseating to see, you know, white people only like searching for black partners. Like that fetishization, it just doesn't sit right Right. in my spirit at all. Um, And I feel... It doesn't. I was also thinking about... Oh, sorry, finish your thought. For the black partners who are like subjected to that. But also, I think that there's definitely a conversation yeah. about, like, Black people, specifically, like, cishet Black men trying to date white women. And, it's, mm-hmm. you know, like, there are two conversations to be yes. had, like, that kind of, like, predatory, like, Karen or, or, or whatever we want to call her, you know, Sophia, Michaela, whatever, mm-hmm. with, like, going after and just <laughs> in, you know, um, like, you know, cishet relationships but like going after like black men but then also like black men who only date white women it's it's a weird kind of like melting pot of issues going on it really does make you wonder because what i was going to ask is how much of the onus is on the black partner right black men no matter how aggressive the white woman may be one way or another, mm-hmm. a black man is agreeing to be with them, right? So we can't say they're the victim in all of this when they have an active role in it. And when I look at folks oh, like, you know, oh. the Kardashians or the Jenners, who it's very mm-hmm. clear what their intention is, what their track record is, and still black people flock to them either as like black accessories, as friends or as partners. And I'm just thinking, but the gag is you're nothing special. It would be any black person and they would still get with them. So, so then what do we do with that, right? Are, are your, is your participation in their lives saying that you're okay with being the token black person? And what does that mean for all other black people who are trying to fight the power? It, it is. And, it, and That's it's, frustrating. And it's like, in both of these dichotomies that we're looking at, it's like, who's still at the bottom? Like, who still gets the short end of the stick? Who still deems unlovable? Mm. It's black women, a lot of times dark skinned black women, you know, trans mm-hmm. women, non binary black folks, like those are the people who are just who are absent from from, you know, both of these little binaries that we're talking about. And that's why I think that and that's why I think that going mm. back to that whole being in community and like envision envisioning liberatory futures for ourselves, it's not just along racial lines, it's not just along gender lines, because I just want to be in community with people who will mm-hmm. like love and honor and respect me. And sometimes that's not even people who look like you. Not all skin folks are Kimpo. I may not I may not be able to have or want Period. all black people in the community that I want to create for myself to get through whatever you <clears throat> hello. <clears throat> you know? Or maybe or maybe, you know, maybe I don't want to be in community <laughs> with, you know, if we're just speaking about this, the black cis het men. Who are only who only refuse to look at white women mm-hmm. or to look at super light light skin mixed women? You know what I'm saying? Like, they, I don't I don't mm-hmm. know if I want those people in my community. No facts. I'm glad you brought that up because mm-hmm. Danessa, who's a mutual friend of ours, posted on her story yesterday something so real. I don't know if you saw it, 
but it was a tweet saying college showed me men will lie online for clout about protecting black women all day but when it comes down to it they're still friends with the dudes who be harassing and taking advantage of women because quote it ain't my business and I cannot tell you how oh my many God. times at Black and Brown, almost verbatim, that has happened when we went to a mutual friend of the Black guy in question, and he said, well, mm-hmm. we don't really talk about that. That's not my business. Yeah. What? <laughs> like, it's almost yeah, laughable. It's, what I do mean, you mean? I mean, and these are the conversations, girl, these are the conversations we were having all summer. Me, you, Alani. Wasa, mm-hmm. Jeannie. These are the conversations we were having all summer about yep. this. Mm. Phew. Okay. I'm a... Uh, this whole conversation has got me thinking. I'm feeling yeah. really heavy right now. So to lighten the mood, I just... Because <laughs> yeah. this was a lot. My heart is kind of beating a little fast, especially when we talk about Black women being at the disadvantage. But at the same time, no one how powerful we are and that we're queens and that so much goodness has come into the world because of us not Mm. only for everyone else but just like in service to ourselves and I love that about us how we come together so I want to close by asking you girl what brought you joy this week how are you honoring yourself what's what's the best part of being Sydney right now the past couple of weeks have been rough you know midterms getting ready for finals dealing with the increase in COVID can, in, in cases, but especially yeah, here at It'd be like that. Um, but I think that's something that has brought was, um this past week. Um, it was my roommate, Lauren's birthday, and Vanessa is also one of my roommates. Um, and we kind of just got to like, oh. be in community with one another mm-hmm. and celebrate her and pour love into her and, and each other. And this morning, we actually made her a big breakfast. Vanessa and I were up in the oh. kitchen cooking making her some breakfast and we kind of just got to sit and oh I love this <laughs> and then I think back to the time that we spent together this summer and just this semester is just like being in community and being mm-hmm. nurtured and loved on and seen and just supported by black women like black women just being mm. together um I think that that is something that has been period just like the highlight of like this past week but also of just 2020 that has rather, this has been a simulation. I don't know what is going on. I don't know what 2020 has been, but I think the highlight mm. has just been the times when I've just been able to like be, simply just be with black women. And that happened this summer with you Thanks. and all of our friends and our, and our own little COVID pod that we had and living with my roommates now. Yeah. And those are the, those are the times where oh. I feel the most like loved and, and held in like a year that has really been all over the place so that's 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 what I'm thankful for that is what has brought me joy (laughs) oh those remarks just they warmed me up I also Mm. feel that the highlight is just being in community with black women like the conversations are just Mm -hmm. different the vibe is different the love is different Uh, and the reciprocation is unmatched just uh, everything about black women I continue Absolutely. to profess is the best thing since sliced bread so thank you my love this has been a joy um, right. honestly come back anytime we left so many things up in the air because simply it's a lot to unpack and there is limited time but by all means Absolutely. this is uh, to be continued not a period um, 
All right, Plants and Everberry. So we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Instead of the usual outro music, I leave you with an old song I recently discovered that brought me joy this week. Ladies, leave your man at home. The club is full of ballers and their pockets full of gold. And now you fellas leave your girl with her friends. Cause it's 11.30 and the club is jumping, jumping. Oh, we say you got a girl. Yeah, it's true, you got a man.
Thou shalt say my name.